Welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency so there is time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. I'm your host, Scott Painter, with my co-hosts, Mark Painter and Dr. Ray Painter. Hi, and welcome to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, Episode 10. And today we're going to be talking with, uh, we're going to be talking cybersecurity. I'm Scott Painter, and Mark's going to be uh, leading the interview with Jeffrey Dagrapont. And I'm going to turn it over to Mark, and, and why don't you uh, get started, Mark, and let's get an introduction and get going. Okay, sounds great. Hey, Jeff, thanks for joining us. Um, first, um, just so everybody knows, we didn't just flag somebody off the street and uh, ask right. them questions. Tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, I appreciate that. First and foremost, let me say it's an honor and privilege to have been invited to the podcast and contribute. Uh, I'm also going to apologize in advance to Dr. Lynn, John Lynn. I did try to have my headphones, and uh, I guess I blew them out right before the call. He will critique me, and I will hear constructive feedback for not having my headphones, proper lighting, and I probably need to position myself a little bit better. So, no, he's been a great uh, coach on in fact, yeah. he's kind of the godfather of podcasts. So, um, yeah, I appreciate all the club. coaching there. Yes. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, the Coker is based in Atlanta. I've been with the company 20 years now. I'm one of their senior VPs and I head up our IT service line. I typically like to just share things about what we do or how we do it. Uh, the first and foremost is very important is we have no financial affiliations with any vendors. So, we work a lot with vendors. And then I oftentimes describe my role as someone who helps physicians or leaders make those career-defining decisions, hopefully not career-limiting decisions. So big, you know, IT conversions, um, deciding uh, what vendors to go forward with, uh, helping a lot of people now, unfortunately, remove older systems and do migrations and things of that sort. And then most recently, which I think is the topic for today, dealing with a lot of the quick and sudden onset of telemedicine and some of the uh, concerns that that has brought up around cybersecurity. Yeah, well, that, and, and that is why we brought you on. And, and as you know, um, we've been working with a lot of groups, teaching them about the billing and coding side of, of telemedicine. And, you know, when, when you and I got on a call and talked actually earlier in April, um, you had mentioned that as people moved um, from their office to, to being allowed to actually do some of the telehealth at home, that a lot of the hackers had kind of switched their their targets um, across right. the board. So, so I'm going to start off with the first question on all this stuff. You know, a lot of us have um, services uh, like Xfinity or Comcast or all those that come with uh, a, a, a router and and they say protection um, to protect everything that's behind the firewall. So um, is, is that really something that you can rely on or do you need to really look, look for a little bit more? Yeah. So I I think, you know, it's understandable in in light of the situation that people's workforce, not just doctors, but back office and literally anyone who wasn't essential went home and, and started working from home. So I think we have to recognize that home networks were never really built as a medical-grade IT environment. They oftentimes rely on residential-grade equipment. And I don't want to give hackers any advantages or tips on, on this broadcast, but 
I will say, I guess I'll, I guess I'll share this. Uh, virtually all those installers that come from AT&T and Verizon and whatnot, they use the same equipment. They use the same default passwords. They oftentimes can even be the, the ones that, that turn dark at some point and become the hackers. So a lot of times people, when you have these installers come out, don't ever think to go back and reset those routers and passwords. And once a single type of router or switch gets compromised or an individual gets compromised, and it may not even be the installer. Let's just say that it's a known default password for that particular piece of equipment. It's a lot easier to, to then target home networks because in an office environment, usually an IT department is smart enough to go through and reset all that equipment, uh, whereas we don't always do that at home. The second problem with uh, home networks is it's not just the employee. You have everybody on those home networks, your kids, your spouse. Uh, we're all streaming downloading all kinds of things um, and again people never really worry too much about it at worst maybe your your facebook gets hacked or something like that and you're not compromising phi but now we are interacting more with our phi uh, the other thing that people need to remember this is extremely important if you do allow your employees and your providers to work from home then that is in essence an extension of your office so the same policies now apply. And in fact, in your policies, it should state very clearly that all equipment, even personal equipment, if it's connected back to the office, is subject to e-discovery, subject to auditing, subject to quarantining. If you get into a situation where there is a, a breach and, and somebody from the outside has to go in and investigate it. Uh, if it's a massive breach and you know hundreds of thousands of patients get involved, you know, all of that equipment can be subject to audits. And I share that only because sometimes people put some embarrassing things on their personal devices and you just want to make sure that you, you know, understand that there is some consequences and a trade-off to working at home. Treat your home office no different than, than as if you're sitting in your medical office. Same, same, same thing. Okay. That's the good, good suggestion there. And, and, and um, so, what what other things can they do to to kind of beef up their network and 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 really take a look at setting up everybody at home so that there is a little bit more of a system approach to extending your your IT security to the to the homework right if you, if you have an IT department i think it's helpful just to have the IT department actually make sure that those home devices were issued from the company and they are under the same active controls and monitoring and all that. My device that I'm using now is at home, but it's authenticated through my company's firewalls and routers and we have dual authentication. So I'm still using corporate grade cybersecurity checks and balances. I also think that your IT department can give you good policies that you can share with the family. Nothing wrong with, with calling a family meeting and discussing just general, I have um, uh, a 26-year-old and a 10-year-old. The 10-year-old is really starting to get on apps and become a lot more familiar. So we, we talk frequently about what not to download, what not to click on. Um, actually, I've learned this from, from Dr. Lynn, but um, if you follow him, he has a mesh network at his house, and he monitors all the traffic coming in and out. That's very inexpensive technology. There's uh, Google makes one. You can actually see any unauthorized devices, any traffic. 
you know, going in and out. That's typically only technology that you used to only see in the corporate world. Well, now you can actually put that on your home networks. In fact, when you get upset with your kids, you just turn them off or deactivate their access, shut off their TV. So it's, there's very some, there's some inexpensive tools that you can now get to actually monitor your home network. Where it gets a little bit dicey, and I wish I had a better answer for this, is that the Internet of Things, that's where – you know, those are your ring doorbells, that's your refrigerator, that's your, you know, internet-connected uh, uh, coffee pot. They don't have operating systems. They're just connected to the internet. And some worry that those devices made overseas may already come with uh, Trojan horses in it. Once you plug them in, they call back home, and then they monitor traffic coming in and out of your house. So that's, that's the concern there. And then the normal policy that you would tell everybody, not that we always practice it, but don't use your same you know, personal passwords as you do for, for your business stuff. In fact, the vast majority of businesses and practices that get hacked, there wasn't an actual compromise of that network. The individual got compromised because their Starbucks app or their pizza app got hacked, and that happened to be the exact same username and password that they're using for their EMR because we're all guilty of that and, uh, or maybe some teeny tiny variation of it. So a lot of times it's the person that gets hacked, and then that information is then taken and then used to, to compromise the medical practice. But it's usually not the network that gets compromised. It's the person. Wow. Very good. And, and um, so one of the things, and I'll, I'll expose us a little bit, and you can tell us if we've done sort of the right stuff. But, you know, as we uh, use VPNs and, and access our various um, EMRs and practice management systems, and we've done, you know, we actually switched to Teams uh, a while back, um, basically because of a blizzard um, that we needed to have people set up at home and, and, and have documented. The corporate policy is all the documents that you create are stored on a secure SharePoint service instead of, you know, locally sharing those things. Are those good steps to take or are we creating a false sense of security with doing some of those things. No, I think anytime you can move all your documents and policies out, out to the cloud, I mean, we went all in uh, Microsoft 365. We have SharePoint. It's all uh, much more secure these days than keeping it on our laptops. We're even trying our best to implement a policy where nothing is even stored on your local device. It's automatically synced up. Now, not everybody's been, been good at following that, but we do have everything synced up. So in the event of a, of a hack, the, the worst case you could ever find yourself in, most of these hacks will pull what's called ransomware, where they block you out of your own data and then, then hold you for ransom until you pay it. If you have a good back off, you back up, you just tell them to go pound sand and you, you back your stuff up. That's the, that's the really big key of surviving a hack is that you, you have a good backup to restore your data. And if you do have things offsite, more times than not, those companies are going to have a lot more redundancy and a lot more hardening of their infrastructure than, say, you or I could ever have in our on our just our local machines. Mm-hmm. That's a good decision to do it do it that way. Okay, great. Well, that's that's a relief. Um, that's what my IT department said. So I hope it was was the right <laughs> thing. Um, and, uh, and and so and so now let's. Uh, I mean, we'll st- st- take a little bit and. Like what? What kind of steps would would you, as the Coker Group, do for a group um, to help them kind of get all set up? If you were to come in and and get them get them all 
geared and wired to work at home. Right. So there's really two things that we are, or that we sort of advocate. One is I'm not a big fan of the big, you know, team of consultants coming in with, with a lot of fees and, and running up a bunch of assessments and hours. I think you can tell a lot about a practice by just doing a very simple, limited vulnerability scan. That's where you attach a remote appliance. It will run and, and monitor and review every device connected to that network. It will also come back with very comprehensive reports about what are the risks, what has been compromised, where are the vulnerabilities. Now, it's not what's called penetration testing. That's a separate level, a more extensive level and more expensive level. But a vulnerability scan can tell you a lot about a network, and they're very inexpensive to run. And then from there, you can quickly identify where your risk areas are. And typically, these scans will prioritize your risk from the highest risk, the most likely is you will be compromised. So you can work from, from high to low, most likely to be compromised, meaning the hackers are already aware of that vulnerability and how to exploit it, and it's sitting on your network. It's just a matter of time before they come across it. And so that's a great way to sort of start. Oftentimes, this can be overwhelming. Where do I start? Do I do, you know, bring an audit? Um, do I bring my own IT department in? Sometimes it's good to have a check and balance to have a third party do that. It's not necessarily being critical of any anybody else. It's just a good way to have a second set of eyes to, to look over a network and how it was set up. And, in fact, even the best of networks, ours, which I think is pretty good, any one of our employees at any given time can have an honest mistake and click on the wrong email, and all of a sudden a, a virus is, is now inside of our network. So so the other part of that is ongoing monitoring and and more of a – approach to go seek and destroy versus waiting for something to happen and then react to it. And then the second thing that I think is extremely important, and I would do this for any of your clients, we've offered this for AUA for years at no cost, let us take a look at that vendor contract. More times than not, most practices are using cloud vendors. You really want to make sure that those cloud vendors have the same level of protection uh, also, responsibility and accountability beyond the BAA. Most of these vendors are now offering cloud-based solutions, so they have a lot of accountability now, more so than they ever had before. And you want to make sure that they're not only held accountable, but they will uh, support and assist and take responsibility should something happen in their environment that causes you problems. And be happy to look at those contracts to give feedback on how to correct that, because most don't pr provide any protection. Yeah. Okay, and 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 how can they get in touch with you if somebody was interested in in, in working? You know, the the easiest way is just email us, and um, I don't know if you guys are sending out links, but it's just my first initial J and last name, so J Daggerpont. I'll have to spell that one. That's uh, J and then D A I G R E T like Paul O N T like Tom at CokerGroup.com. It's probably easier just to go to cokergroup.com and click on my, my picture. <laughs> but um, either way, be happy to, to take a look at a contract and, and give you some feedback. And we can, uh, we can put that on the, the episode notes as well. So we'll, we'll put that link to, that, uh, to the Coker right. Group. So we'll include that. And, and if you're going to look at, you know, if you don't want to take us up on that offer, where I would go if I was just to give you a sense of, of what I do, the first thing you want to look at is do they even have a cybersecurity policy, insurance? What is their limits of liability? I'm astonished at how little 
vendors are really accountable for. Most contracts says only up to the last 12 months of payment. So if there was a breach, you may only get, you know, whatever dollars you paid in over the last 12 months. That's where you, that's where you get capped off. Um, you know, and I'm not looking to, to, to beat up vendors over this. They're, they're naturally going to avoid as much responsibility as they can. But if you're going to offload all of your IT environment to a third party, and that goes for anybody, that, that's whether it's a data center or a vendor or an IT firm, you need to make sure they have the, the wherewithal to back you up in the event that they get hit because they're the ones who will be responsible for it. Excellent advice. Is there, are there any other things I have not asked that I should have? Uh, your cybersecurity insurance, that's the cheapest thing. Get Definitely get a good policy. Uh, be happy to look at those contracts as well. A lot of times I'm surprised by how many people assume they have it. Uh, they, they don't all, they may have some, but it's not very comprehensive, meaning that if it's an insider attack, you may not be covered. It may only cover outsiders. Uh, sometimes they define insider attack as not necessarily a rogue employee, but an employee who got compromised and then didn't tell anybody uh, we see in cybersecurity incidents, because we can tell by the routers and, and switches and look at the traffic, how many people clicked on an unsafe email. But when you ask the employees how many people got this email and clicked on it, it's usually a only small, tiny percent of the people that will actually come forward because they're fear that they're fearful they're going to get in trouble or they're embarrassed by it. So a lot of times your employees are the ones who are compromised, but they are fearful to say anything about it. They just hope they just brush it under the rug and nothing comes of it. Yeah, it's kind of scary. You want to be careful. Um, you want to make sure that in your cybersecurity training and education that you really never, ever punish anybody for clicking on something they shouldn't. I mean, now you can get be disappointed because it's, they should have known that, you know, and it's usually something silly. Those, um, those chain emails that people get, you know, the things that you probably should know, uh, that Nigerian guy that wants to give you, you know, a million dollars, he's been trying to give that way for years now. I mean, th that kind of stuff it makes no excuse for clicking on that. But they've gotten good. Um, I've seen cases where they will mask one of your employees and send you an email. It's usually somebody from accounting that you're familiar with or HR that says, hey, uh, I've just recently changed banks. Will you please redirect my direct deposit? And it comes from your employee but that employee could have been compromised and the emails coming through. So things like that, you know, you should never change direct deposit for anybody without two forms of verification and email and pick up the phone and say, do you want me to change your direct deposit? Same thing with accounting. You know, we had um, our comptroller got hit and was uh, invoicing or, or telling accounting to issue checks. The only reason why we spotted it, well, not the only reason we probably would have, is the email came on a Sunday. And this employee never works on after hours. So we thought that was very strange that we was getting an email on a Sunday from an employee asking us to process a check. And we looked into it. Sure enough, she was uh, indeed uh, hit. So um, uh, that's, that's, you always want to have good policies to go with your, your infrastructure. Very good. All right. Well, I, Jeff, we, we appreciate the time um, that you spent today with us. Um, and... Um, certainly um, appreciate all the feedback that you've given over the years and Coker Group has given over the years on EMRs and so many things that you've done so well uh, across the board. So thanks very much. Yeah, no, thank you for, for having me and uh, looking forward to when we can get back together in person to 
uh, see each other and and maybe even shake hands if that's going to be allowed. So, yeah. but thank you both for for your time today. Thank thank you very much, Jeff. And uh, you can always go to prsnetwork.com forward slash podcast and check out the episode number ten. We'll have the show notes. And there will be a link to join our urology coding and reimbursement group. So you can ask questions. And if you have any questions for Jeff, please let us know and we'll get to them. Thank you for listening to the Urology Coding and Reimbursement Podcast, where we help urologists and staff achieve peak economic and practice efficiency. So there's time and energy to focus on patient care and a happy life. Special thanks to Carl Painter. For the music today, you can find his music under his record label, The Juicery, with extra pulp and special guests.